And what's up? Welcome in GC Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. South Carolina gets the the big public news uh, yesterday as Keenan Nelson Jr., four-star defensive back, officially commits to the South Carolina Gamecocks. I I was going to play a clip of the commitment, but then um, I was having some technical issues on my side, so I'll just tell everybody, go to Twitter. Uh, You can watch it right there on Keenan Nelson Jr.'s Twitter yourself and uh, give him the views. This is GC Live. We are, of course, brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, clinthammond.com. 803-771-6933 is how you can get in touch with Clint. And uh, you see right there on the screen his NMLS number is 71597. Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com is also how you can contact him via email. If you are in the market for a new home or you just want to refinance and, and see if maybe you can save yourself some money, Clint is your guy and our presenting sponsor right here on GC Live. Uh, Chris, plenty to get to, man. Uh, Keenan Nelson Jr., as I said, officially committed to South Carolina SEC Media Days. We had a show on Monday, but Beamer, Nick Muse, J.J. Nkbari, none of those guys had spoken yet, so I figure we'll double back, hit on some of that, uh, maybe even play a couple clips from Beamer, but uh, for the most part, we'll give our reaction on on that stuff. But I think we got to start, especially with um, the amount of people who anticipated the commitment for so long there. We got to start with Keenan Nelson Jr., who goes public Tuesday afternoon, officially a Gamecock. Yeah, and a long time coming. Uh, I was just on 107.5 the game earlier with Pearson in the uh, about 12:30, Wes, and and we were talking a little bit about this, and it was kind of there was a time where South Carolina had cleared the queue, so to speak, from like all the all the welcome homes that they were waiting on, got back to kind of a, a good starting point or, or zeroed that out. And then you had another one with Keenan Nelson. Of course, that was the welcome home that everybody was waiting on. And this one had some, I guess, production issues or whatever it may have been, Wes, where it got delayed a couple times from what we anticipated. So it took a little longer than anybody thought, uh, but ends up dropping it yesterday on Tuesday afternoon. And so another big pickup for South Carolina. This gives them now, you know, kind of a full class at DB for all intents and purposes. Um, where you've got a mix of guys that can play safety, nickel, corner, some that could maybe even project to multiple spots. But I think the two biggest storylines with with Keenan Nelson Jr. are South Carolina continues success in the Northeast. Obviously, they have wanted to break through in that area. That's an area they've needed to break through in, and they've announced their presence up there, um, not only in just becoming a factor for some guys, but actually landing some guys. And then just the addition of Nelson Jr. himself, in terms of his talent, <clears throat> this is a guy that, from a body type standpoint, he can place it. Some people think he may be a safety, a nickel, a corner. From what he told me yesterday in our wrap-up interview after his commitment, it looks like he'll start out at corner. And so, from a larger kind of big-picture view, Wes, this is a guy that you add to, you know, there are a few guys in this class that can play corner, but when you look at Keenan Nelson, who's six foot, about 200 pounds, Emory Floyd, who's 6'1 and lighter, but could add some weight. And then a guy like Anthony Rose, who's about 6'3 and almost 190 pounds. You got three guys there, at least, that could play corner that have some length, that have some size to them. And so Torian Gray's added some, uh, you know, some length and he's added some skill there, but a, a nice pickup again for many reasons for South Carolina. Yeah. And, you know, man, I, We'll come back again and, and go back into a little bit of, of his skill set. I've, I've got some film I'm going to pop. Some 
some of you may have already seen it because um, we, we did actually do a little quick sort of breakdown on our YouTube. You can see that youtube.com slash Gamecock Central, or you can actually just go to Gamecock Central front page. It was it was Keenan Nelson Jr. Day last after, or yesterday afternoon on GamecockCentral.com. Whole front page is loaded up with Nelson content. That's the way we like to do it. Um, appreciate him getting back to us and, and chatting with us a little bit about his commitment. If you're a subscriber, you can go read that as well. And, Chris, I, I just look at the sort of uh, – if you go the, the the perception, if you go into the state of Pennsylvania and land, if you look at rivals rankings, you got the number three and the number five overall prospect in the state of Pennsylvania. Ryan Brubaker, of course, uh, was the highest rated kid South Carolina had committed. Um, now uh, he's of course still committed, but Keenan Nelson Jr. takes that crown from him, slightly ahead of him as far as the state rankings and the overall national rankings, of course. But to go up there and get two of the top five of the number three and number five guys, um, that that's a good start. And I, I think, um, you know, you mentioned the defensive back class, Torian Gray doing work there. But Pete Lembo, man, he he has he's not a guy that you would have probably singled out um, as like recruiting being what he was kind of known for coming in. I, I think you the first thing you will say and still will say about Pete Lembo is that he is a very detail-oriented technician and a special teams guru as a coach. But as far as um, being well-organized, sort of canvassing the Northeast for guys that make sense for South Carolina, leaning on some prior relationships, um, Limbo and, and then Torian Gray were really a great combination in, in going to get Keenan Nelson Jr. I, I, I think this trend continues. You know, we, We'll see. There's only so many spots left for 2022, but certainly you want to talk about establishing a base for 2023, 2024. These are guys that are going to have a chance to play early, I think, man. So uh, the, the best thing for South Carolina will be if some of these guys come in. If Nelson comes in and is, is one of South Carolina's um, – even just, you know, a guy off the bench in 2022, you start selling that to the other kids who obviously know who he is and, and say, you know, you can come do the same thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier to piggyback off what you're saying about Carolina breaking through up in the Northeast, you know, it, it's always been, we saw it a little bit under Steve Spurrier, under Will Muschamp, uh, you know, spot recruiting that area, you know, whether it's the DMV, the Northeast, but it's smart to do. There's a ton of football talent in the Southeast. When you think about there's going to be kids in South Carolina, varies depending on the year. There's going to be kids in North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. And largely those states plus, you know, Alabama, Tennessee here and there, that's going to be South Carolina's footprint. But despite there being a ton of talent in those states, there's also a lot of competition, a lot of schools in the Southeast, a lot of schools that are good football programs and recruit really well. And so to dip into those other areas where maybe you do want a kid who wants to play in the SEC or maybe wants to get a little bit farther away from home but not too far, or simply a kid that you're able to get him on campus and he just likes what he sees in all those facets, it's smart to go up there and do it. Um, South Carolina is the closest SEC school to a lot of the programs up north, whether it's in that DMV area up in Pennsylvania. And Limbo, like you said, man, he's not going to get a lot of the credit for this but he is a guy that helped with his connections up there. We've seen South Carolina get involved with guys in Pennsylvania 
in New York State, we've seen that. We've seen it in Massachusetts with some guys from the next couple classes, 23, 24. And then obviously in the DMV area, we've seen that too. So we knew it would be a point of emphasis, but we're seeing some of the fruits of that in terms of some tangible evidence that South Carolina is going to be a factor up there. You know, Shane Beamer with that DMV area, uh, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma has credited him a lot for unlocking some of Oklahoma's potential in the DMV. And they're continuing to, you know, scour that area even after Beamer left as an assistant. So they've all got some connections up there. So you need to get some doors open. They've gotten some doors open and then they've gotten the kids on campus. And, you know, you look at Brubaker, for instance. I mean, Limbo helped a lot on that. You get them on campus. Greg Adkins can kind of take over and he does a great job. Same thing with Keenan Nelson with, yeah, Limbo helps with his connections in Philly. You get him on campus. Torian Gray does an outstanding job there with him. As you said, man, I, I think a kid that th- this word versatility probably comes up with with quite a bit of South Carolina's defensive backs in this class. Um, I I look at him as being maybe in, in some ways opposite to like an Emory Floyd, who's also a four star defensive back, who also could start at corner or will start at corner, but could play safety. Uh, not as you know, Floyd is sort of the speed demon, a little bit, probably more raw as an actual cornerback. Um, maybe a little, maybe a little bit more upside there. But I, I, I look at Nelson and I say this is a kid that has already uh, developed as a defensive back. He's a patient kid. He he waits. He uh, he's sort of uh, I think as far as down the field ball skills, the ability to be physical. Um, the extra time and effort he puts into training, uh, multiple DB trainers that he works with. Um, to me, this is a kid that's a little bit further on in his development as a defensive back and probably puts him in a place to, to maybe be able to come in and play early at South Carolina and, and sort of be a kid that they're probably going to be comfortable with going ahead and putting on the putting him on the field as a true freshman potentially. Yeah, I mean – Going to be no shortage probably of early playing time for, for DBs in this class. I mean, it's going to be very competitive. Um, you know, you pointed out with Nelson, you get positional versatility. And I think you can see on film here, he's a guy that's patient, doesn't take a bunch of false steps. Um, he's he's not, like you said, I mean, you look at Emory Floyd, you can had that comparison with the speed. You know, Emory Floyd's a 10, 400 meter guy. And that's that's not something you find every day. Nelson's probably going to be, more of a guy that's kind of just typical speed, you know, for a DB. Um, but he's got the size and the skill set to, you know, go play safety because he's got ball skills. He can tackle. He's got the size. He can play corner because he does have man-to-man coverage ability. He's big enough to hold up on the perimeter and match up against bigger receivers. So I think part of it, you know, talking with him yesterday on Tuesday, West after he committed, he mentioned two things, and that was the ability to play early at South Carolina – and just kind of the vision that Torian Gray laid out for him. And I think part of that was getting, you know, his first look at the cornerback position. Yeah, and I, I think if you look at this group of guys, you do have, um, you know, I, I think with maybe Peyton Williams, Javante McClendon, those are more of your sort of true safeties, like typical safeties. We, we've talked quite a bit, Nicky Mamori. He's sort of a nickel, probably, uh, at least poss- possibly grows into a, a more of an outside linebacker type than um, – you know, I, I think a guy, Kawan Banks, uh, could play corner, could play nickel as well. So we'll see exactly how all these guys play out as far as their position. But it's one of those things where you get them into the program, 
you see what your needs are as a program, and you obviously see where they best fit. And I, I would imagine, Chris, with so many guys coming in at once, you probably want to spread those guys out among all those positions we're talking about when they first get on campus. And then once you see them, once you work with them, once as Torian Gray sort of learns more about these guys in person and their development as, as freshmen, that's when you can start tweaking and moving guys around and finding out who works best for where. And, uh, you know, some of that's going to be where, where does South Carolina most need somebody to step up? You know, it, it may be a situation where one spot has a bigger need than another. And if, if one of those kids is further along, you, you maybe put them there to start off, even if that's not going to ultimately be their, uh, their final position. I, I think that the big takeaway for me though, man, is that you're, you're restocking the defensive back spot with talented kids and, um, with Nelson, another guy with SEC size, and I, I think that was something that was going to be big for South Carolina. Um, they they took a smaller guy or two. Uh, you know, Banks not the biggest guy in the world, but to go out, uh, you know, add Emory Floyd who has some length, add Keenan Nelson who has some length, Anthony Rose has length. That uh, I think that's a that's a good that's a really good thing and a needed thing for for South Carolina moving forward. Yeah, and you don't look at this class and say, well, first of all, it's a big enough class to where you can do this. Um, but you don't look at it and say, where are the safeties or where are the corners or where are the guys that could maybe play multiple spots and fit in a nickel? There, there's really some of all of that. And so kind of going off what we know, because this has been a fairly common question throughout the recruiting cycle, but especially now that it's potentially, not definitely, but potentially things are kind of finished out here at DB. You know, I think you look at it and it's, Based on what we know, Nelson and Floyd probably start out at corner. Now, as we laid out, they could play safety, I think. Um, Peyton Williams and Javante McClendon, probably safeties to start out with, right, Wes, based on based on what we know. Kawan Banks, you mentioned, smaller guy, 5'9", 177. Potential nickel, I think, because we don't know for sure. I think from what he's told us, you know, could play multiple spots, but Banks is someone that, when you look at his size, actually, I think kind of similar to the guy that played nickel for Clayton White at Western Kentucky for a few seasons. So from a size standpoint, he kind of matches there. And then you've got Anthony Rose, who kind of potentially a unicorn could play, you know, various spots because he he's played safety in high school. He has corner type ability, big enough, you know, athletic enough to be able to play nickel if you want to. So a pretty good mix of guys in terms of, skill sets and sizes and where they could play. There you see South Carolina's commitment list. Uh, looks quite a bit prettier if you're a South Carolina fan than it did maybe a month ago or or a little bit before that, probably two months ago. So South Carolina continues their hot streak. And let's, um, I guess, uh, Chris, move this thing forward as we sort of look ahead. Uh, South Carolina right now in the team rankings, sitting at number 13 in the country, Um you talked about this a bit in the Insider Report today. Uh, 16 total commitments, but as we know, you actually have to count two of the guys, Karan Prunty, who's already on campus, Tyrese Ross, who's already on campus. You have to count those guys towards this class as well. So 18 commits. That means there's only seven left before you get to that 25 initial counters. Not not actually a lot to play with there. I mean, set, you can fill up seven commitments, um, as we saw, in in like 10 days if you get on a little bit of a hot streak. The good thing for South Carolina is that everybody left, everybody thereafter at this point, pretty highly recruited, highly touted, highly rated guys. So 
you you actually I, I've seen some people sort of um, bring up this idea, Chris, of of hey, it's it's being propped up by the numbers. It's the number thirteen class in the country right now, but it's because there are sixteen guys committed. That uh, to be completely clear is is somewhat true. It is partially about the overall numbers. If you sort this out by the average star ranking, which some people would prefer to do, um, South Carolina is like, I believe, between 25th and 30th in the country or so, which is still, all things considered, actually a pretty good spot to be in for South Carolina at this point in the program's sort of rebuild. But, I, Chris, I believe there's an opportunity here if they can actually land several of these guys that we know they're still in on Dude, to me, there's a there's a strong opportunity to actually go out and and maintain a ranking as far as the recruiting rankings go, that is at least close to where they sit right now. You you could get close, um, depending again seven spots, and we anticipate you know South Carolina will fill all those. It does depend depends on a couple of factors, obviously how they finish, how other teams around them finish. You know, some of the teams that are up in the top five right now on the rankings are going to stay there. Some of the teams that are in the top 20 or so may eventually drop out because they have been propped up a little bit by volume two. I think South Carolina might have room to improve on that average star ranking. I think it's what around 3.2 right now. But you look at some of the other guys out there, and these aren't sure things, but if South Carolina can pull an Antonio Williams and an Oscar Delp and a Jaden Gibson, for instance, that's a trio of four stars there. Now, how what are the other guys rank? Can they get one, two, three of those? It all depends. But they still have a chance. It's not like if they if they continue on this path, it's not like they're gonna drop from thirteenth to, you know, forty. I mean, that's not what you would think right now. Um, you know, and, and there are some schools, you look at Alabama, Georgia, for instance, a ten and eleven, three point eight two and four average star ratings and in those programs realistically they'll probably finish in the top 10 probably top five maybe top three or something like that um but there there's going to be some movement you know up and down on these and it's going to be interesting Wes because you know with the seven spots that are left when you kind of go through and break out the individual needs as far as from a number standpoint what South Carolina would like to bring in ideally you kind of go over that threshold. And so somewhere there's going to have to be, you know, some additional flexibility. Um, Whereas let me give you an example right now, you know, they'd probably like to add two more defensive tackles, but depending on the timing, can you definitely do that? I mean, probably. Right. But, you know, you look at DB, a lot of people have asked, will they sign another DB? Well, if one jumped in that you couldn't turn down, maybe, but you look at the fact that they'd like to sign a running back. They want to sign a couple more wide receivers. Tight ends probably going to be Delp or Bust. You know, you look, you want to get bring in another edge guy, a couple of defensive tackles, and you need a couple more linebackers. So uh, the numbers are really, really tightening here down the stretch. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I think, Chris, um, some of that is usually taken care of because they're – there's always a guy or two that we find out there. there's a great issue, there's some, you know, and we're not going to speculate on who that might be. I'm saying more in general, there, yep. there's always a guy or two that an issue pops up. 
you know, South Carolina's are South Carolina's already had a couple of decommitments in this class. Now one of them came back to them in, in Anthony Rose, but point being, you can't always you can't project out when you're starting to you know you start talking about a class of 16 kids right now. There's going to there's going to be an issue along the way somewhere. So some of this stuff will work itself out, but you're right if they if they start landing if they land all these guys we're talking about that are like the top tier guys they're chasing, then yeah, you start to you start to have a situation where maybe you have some some tough decisions to make. It would be a good problem to have if you're South Carolina. Don't get me wrong, but seven spots, even if even if we just say so, it's seven hard spots right now. Even if you're just assuming one guy ends up not being in the class, even eight spots. You're you're especially if if you start landing guys like Delp, Antonio Williams. If you pull, I, I still think it's a little bit of a long shot for like a Jaden Gibson or a Dane Key, but I also don't count Justin Step out. And with some of these guys, we see it every year, man. The other teams start to have their numbers crunches as well. So if South Carolina, you know, I, I would think Kentucky's going the distance with Dane Key, uh, but you know, let's say Florida starts to fill up at receiver. Florida starts to fill up at defensive tackle. Does, does that does that give South Carolina an opening with a Jamari Lyons, give South Carolina an opening with a Jaden Gibson? We know Florida obviously seems to really like those guys, but everybody's facing similar numbers crunches eventually. And does the portal crunch some things as well? Because we're going to see more and more schools look ahead and save spots for the portal as opposed to taking every single slot that they have available with, with a high school class or JUCO class. So I, I think some, some of these guys that are going to wait towards the end, we've seen the kids that are going to go ahead and commit, obviously, already. We, we've seen that all summer long. But there's going to be some – and they're completely unpredictable right now, but there will be some situations where either – South Carolina maybe has to start backing off of a guy they liked, or maybe South Carolina benefits from another program having to back off of a kid or two that they really liked at one point. Plus, you have the the senior year where you're continuing to evaluate. Maybe guys move up or down the boards moving forward. If they're uncommitted, they're still fair game for a school to to start chasing them more or to to back off a little bit. Yeah, lots of factors in play, man. A ways to go until – you know, everybody signs in December and, and none of that's to say, Hey, this, this will happen or to speculate on it or, Hey, South Carolina is going to lose these guys. You know, again, there's, there's not right now any firm indications on any of that. It's just that you do have to build that in as coaches, you know, managing the roster um, has become a little bit more challenging now. And, and that's not to say anybody needs to feel bad for them. That's the job they're paid well to do it, but it is a challenge at times, especially now with, you know, you're putting in a one-year transfer rule. That means guys can leave you, and you can get guys to leave, you know, their place and come to you. And so that's, you know, th- these things don't just happen just automatically. Everybody has to count somewhere. You've got, yeah, you got an 85 scholarship cap, but that that rarely comes into play. It's a consideration. What what you run into a lot more is your initial 25 scholarship counters every year, and as we've seen in multiple ways, you know, one year, uh, South Carolina's two specialist signees and Mitch Jeter, Kai Kroger, they counted forward to one class. We've seen, you know, South Carolina's going to have a couple guys that you mentioned, Wes and Tyrese Ross, Karan Prunty, 
they're playing this year, but they count to this class just because of their status. So all those things have to be, you know, built into your strategy and South Carolina will build it in and, and it does make it a little bit more to predict. We know the guys on the board, you know, for the most part, there could be new ones come up, whether it's the summer, as you said, man, this season, because it's ongoing, lots of big targets left. Um, but how it's going to play out from a number standpoint, there's just a lot of fluidity because of the numbers and even more so because of the targets. Yeah, no doubt, man. So uh, let's uh, let's move forward a little bit. I saw I saw some questions about. Um, there's one very broad question about targets that are left. We we probably don't have the time um, to go into all that. But if you want, actually, if you want to see a quick rundown of many of the top targets that are left, plus the numbers, you can check out the insider report from today on GamecockCentral.com. Um, there's an update on Jalen Glover in there as well. Uh, no DELP update in that, but there was a DELP update from Monday or Tuesday, a very recent DELP update. Uh, Jackson asked, does he – this is something we probably haven't talked about, so we can hit this. He asked, does he compare it all to a, a Hayden Hurst? And, you know, I would – Chris, I would answer that by saying as far as an impact, like from ability, like from an ability standpoint – could he make an impact like Hayden Hurst did at South Carolina if he lives up to his billing? I would say yes. As far as a skill set, um, that's not who I would compare him to. Um, I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head. Uh, Chris and I aren't great with comparisons, I will say, as far as just coming up with random dudes. But, I, Chris, I look at Delp as, as actually a, a really good receiver in his own right uh, as far as Big hands, soft hands, uses his body to get open fast enough. But, um, you know, dude, Hayden Hurst came into South Carolina as a walk-on wide receiver. Now, he he was coming in from, from Major League Baseball. But the, the guy moved back and forth early on between receiver and tight end. So, Delp, there's no doubt from body type standpoint that he is a tight end. So, Delp, to me, is a little bit more of your traditional – a uh, big-bodied, wide kid, um, has a frame to put on some weight. Uh, he, he's like – see, I, I, hate, I hate comparisons because you put, you put like crazy, stupid expectations on guys because you, you always name like the best-case version, right? But I, I look at him as like one of those traditional like Dallas Cowboys, like Jason Witten or something like that, like a dude that – is a very good receiver, but it's more um, it's more like a dual threat type tight end as opposed to being somebody like Hayden Hurst, who is more of like a receiver um, that that sort of is, is not a traditional tight end. Yeah, Hurst is you know I mean that guy as evidenced by some of the plays he made and the fact that he was a first round pick kind of had some freaky qualities to him as far as his athleticism. So. You know, Delp is someone that just to kind of stand him on his own, um, like you said, he he has that in line, put it, can put his hand in the ground and, and block somebody, but you can use him in a variety of ways. You can split him out. You can play him in the slot. You can play him as an inline tight end. He can do all those things at high school and at the college level. I think what stands out about him is he's a really, really good route runner. He's very advanced in that regard. Um he runs routes like a receiver. Now he doesn't have Oscar Delp's not going to run a four, four, I don't think. And he's a bigger kid. So you wouldn't anticipate that, uh, but he runs well 
He's got, like you said, West soft hands, catches everything thrown at him, but just a really, really good route runner. Um, this is a guy that knows how to get open. He understands spacing. He understands routes. He can run a variety of them. And that's, that I think is what's made him so highly regarded. Um, so yeah, uh, Floyd, Chris Floyd mentioned Delp equally was Jared Cook. See, I don't, I don't see Cook also, Cook was a wide receiver when he got to South Carolina. There was lots of, there was a lot of discussion. I remember on the boards is Cook better as a receiver? Is he better as a tight end? Um, Ultimately, obviously, he, he was in the league for, for 10 years, so uh, he found the right spot. But I um, I don't know. He's, he's different than all those guys, but a great player in his own right and someone, obviously, South Carolina is fighting tooth and nail to try to land. Uh, news comes out earlier this week. What, what, did, what did you make, Chris, of into Wes, I lost you on that one. You are frozen on my screen. Y'all drop in the comments and let us know if you can see or hear Wes, because I cannot right now. I think I got you back now, Wes. Yeah, I'm I'm getting some messages here that are saying we're having issues. So we apologize. We got some technical issues. Um I don't know. If I if I drop out again, Chris, just uh take over, I guess. Um I, I don't know what's up. We're plug we're plugged directly in. To the Ethernet, so not we're sure. Good now. Just we'll do our best. I, I just, I've got a feeling it's gonna. I, I don't know what the issue is today, but I got a feeling it's gonna be in and out. So I'm gonna warn everybody right off the bat. But uh, a little bit of news from Delp earlier this week, and Chris, this, this is a perfect segue. I'm, I'm gonna play this real quick from Beamer because uh, I thought it's first of all, it's hilarious. Um, this is Beamer at SEC Media Days. We're going to throw to the tight end. To the tight end. We want the premier tight ends in America, and that's the way that we're recruiting right now as well to go get those guys as well. We- I, I mean, talk about the <laughs> emphasis on two words. Like, say, say we won't delp without saying we won't delp. Um, I, I know coaches use the media to recruit from time to time. That may have been one of the most obvious ones I've ever seen. Um, I, I'm wondering how much Eric Kimry had to like push. And Wes is out again. I think he was saying there. We'll, we'll see if we can get Wes back. But talking about pushing, you're back now, Wes. I assume you were talking there about Eric Kimry pushing Shane Beamer to maybe, hey, why don't you say this? Or maybe it was his idea. But no, there's no doubt, man. I mean, we've seen. We've seen a lot of those, uh, you know, little messages on social media, cryptic or not so cryptic. That one, very uncryptic. That one, pretty obvious to anybody uh, in Gamecock country who's been following Oscar Delp's recruitment, which is about everybody. Everybody is talking about Oscar Delp's recruitment. Any Georgia fan watching happened to watch Shane Beamer. Kirby Smart probably sitting there watching Shane Beamer. Guys are good friends, used to be on staff together obviously battling it out for Oscar Delt, but that one was pretty obvious and it was pretty funny in my opinion. Do those things really, that's something I I was asked about earlier today. Do those things really matter? I mean, is Oscar Delt going to pick South Carolina because Shane Beamer did that? No, but obviously when you're making a point about how much of a priority a kid is, what you think of him just kind of drives home that, that issue for for Shane Beamer, but a pretty funny moment there at uh, at Media Days. Yeah, speaking of issues, I don't know what 
my issue is over here right now. So we'll, we'll do our best. We'll keep rolling. Maybe we'll cut it a little bit short. But Chris, um, tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to toss some questions to you and let you talk for the most part since I'm in and out. Um, what was your first biggest takeaway other than the Delp stuff? Um, actually, I do have one more Delp question. What's your takeaway on Delp's decision? I don't know if I've ever seen a recruit necessarily do this. I'm not going to pick George's cookout. I'm not going to pick South Carolina's cookout. I'm just going to not go to either one of them. What uh, What was your takeaway on that, man? I was trying to think of an instance in which that happened. Has it? I'm sure it's happened at some point. We've covered so many recruits over the years. I couldn't think of one immediately. A lot of people, you know, I think that was actually, was it better for South Carolina to have gotten them on campus for their cookout event? Absolutely. You know, anytime I think you can get a guy on campus, especially when another school that you're primarily recruiting against also is having an event, that's a positive. But look, here's the reality. I mean, Georgia, huge factor for Delp too, home state program, a lot of kind of pressure. I don't know if pressure is the right word, but a lot of, I'll say pressure, you know, in some cases to go there. Um, And it's very, very close to home for him, very close to home for him and his family. So it'd be an easy trip to shoot over there. The way I look at it is this. I don't, I think that's more of a loss for Georgia than it's a loss for South Carolina, in my opinion. If you're Georgia, you're sitting there going, we're closer. This is our kind of marquee end of summer event. And we're supposed to be kind of the front runner, the team to beat. Yet, because he doesn't want to kind of shun South Carolina's event, he's not coming to us. So if I'm Georgia, I'd be a little bit more upset about that. That's just the way I see it. Now, at some point, Oscar Delp's going to have to tell one school yes and the other school no and various other schools know, but realistically South Carolina and Georgia are the two biggest factors for him. That's kind of how it's been. That's how we anticipate it will stay. Other weeks that he's going to take visits, say game visits in the month of September, there'll be some ability to go to one school when the other one's away or whatever versus the other school. But that, that was a very interesting decision. I don't think it's going to make or break it either way. I thought it was very interesting I think it's a, you know, again, I'd be, if I was on Georgia staff, I'd be a little bit more concerned about it than on South Carolina staff. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I think I agree with you, man. Cause if, if, you know, he is, he is the home state kid. And I, you know, I, I can't read Kirby Smart's mind. I can't read their tight ends coach's mind. I imagine if you are Georgia, you're, you've probably felt pretty confident. Like, yeah, South Carolina, it, yeah, sure, you know, they're going to take their shot at him, but we're going to get him in the end. Has probably been Georgia's mindset. And I would imagine you really expected the kid to to come hang out with Gunnar Stockton. I imagine Gunnar will be there um, and your other committed guys. And, you know, this this is not a pressure event. This is this is a go-have-fun and, and eat some burgers or whatever, have barbecue – uh, if I'm if I'm Georgia, I I think you're right, man. I'm starting to be like, he he cared enough. Like it's it's close enough right now. Like if I'm Georgia, I'm probably thinking we probably have had the lead the entire time. But now I have some real evidence that it's close enough that he said I'm not choosing between either one of you. Yeah, it's 
Yeah. That's reason for concern. Well, and I think that's just kind of a, that's kind of a manifestation of what we have been saying. I think there are some people at other schools or maybe kind of on a national scale that haven't realized, I don't know why, maybe they haven't paid attention enough that are now realizing, Oh boy, South Carolina is a, is a very big factor for Oscar Dell. It's like, duh, you know, I mean, we, we kind of knew that, but there's now there's a little bit more when, when something like this happens that gives more, you know, tangible evidence to that. So, um, but, but you're right. And, and that's why I said that about Georgia and that they look at it and they go, gosh, you know, why he thinks that much of South Carolina that he's not going to, not going to do that. Now you could look at it and say, well, there were plans at one point. It kind of seemed like to go to South Carolina and then Georgia's event got scheduled. I don't know which one was scheduled first, Wes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, it, I think it's kind of all in the perspective of how you look at it. But, but in my opinion, again, to double down on it, little bit more negative for Georgia. Now they may get, they may still sign Oscar Dell. I mean, that would that be a surprise? No, but it just illustrates that it's very close. There's a ways to go on this one. Yeah. I just, I took this as like pub, public evidence of sort of what, what we've thought has been the case uh, for, for some time now. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but let's go a little bit more into some other things that Beamer said, Chris, what was maybe your biggest take or two, uh, you know, obviously, we knew Beamer would be great in this setting because he he thrives in these settings. And it was interesting hearing some of the reactions, uh, the SEC Network guys like Jordan Rogers talking about, I, you know, I'd go play for Shane Beamer. Um, but I think we knew he'd, he'd knock it out of the park in, in that setting. But what, was there anything that stood out to you, either just the reaction to what Beamer had to say, uh, specifically what Beamer had to say, or any news? There wasn't a ton of news, but any news that, that he mentioned that, uh, that caught your attention? Here was my biggest takeaway, and I think one of the things, one of the reasons this is my takeaway is, like you said, there was not a ton of hard news where he he got up to the podium and broke news on five injuries. And, you know, I mean, there just wasn't that, right? So for me, I always pay more attention to coaches when they're at the big podium, how they answer questions, and then how they how they perform and what they say in like the local media gaggles and on radio row. Largely when they get up there and give the opening monologue, that's not going to be riveting stuff. No matter who's up there, it doesn't matter who's up there. It has no fault of any coach. It's just kind of what it is. It's kind of an overview. Here's what's going on. We're excited, all that jazz. But when, you know, so I paid closer attention to the local media gaggle I think Shane Beamer talked about 15 minutes of those on our YouTube page on Gamecock Central if you want to check it out. And my broad takeaway, I don't have anything specific, was he really shined in that setting. And I think because you have a a better chance to show more personality when you're sitting there talking with the guys. The local media, they're people that cover the program largely every day. So they are more in tune with what's going on in Columbia during the big session on the podium, you know, Cecil Hurt, who's great, he's an institution, asked a question about Frank Beamer and the Alabama job back in the day. Like, you know, the local media is going to be more focused on the South Carolina program, recruiting, all that. And I thought Beamer did a great job of showing personality, uh, being himself, answering questions and giving like good information, insightful information, um, being honest 
and then, you know, mixing in some humor and things like that. So that was kind of my more broad takeaway of he just, he shined there. There wasn't, there weren't any news items that really surprised me or anything. Yeah. And I think you're right, man. You're going to get, if, if there was any news to be had, it was going to come more than likely in that local media gaggle compared to, uh, like you said, national and regional guys asking questions. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I thought that he, he confirmed basically what we already sort of knew um, in that Prunty is on campus. South Carolina still he, – he didn't – it seemed like he didn't want to go into too many specifics. He didn't say much about, for example, Isaiah Norris and Bam Martin-Scott. But um, he, he said they're on, they're on pace basically to be on campus. I actually talked to somebody in Isaiah Norris's camp. I think we talked about this on Monday. He is expected in for the start of camp and and just is waiting to find out um, what exact day he's supposed to get there. I, dude, I I would say though, in my opinion, anytime a JUCO kid or any prospect gets in right at the start of camp, it sort of puts them behind as far as learning the scheme, learning what's going on. So I uh, I don't know if you count on them immediately to, to make, you know, a big impact just because we've seen it over and over again. So that's, that's something that we sort of knew it's not new news, but Beamer kind of confirmed it. Um, quarterback situation. He talked about that a little bit, no surprises there. I, I did think he, he gave a little bit more positive take on um, some of the other guys, as far as them having an opportunity to at least push Doty. I, now I, I think, I think it's a 99% chance, if healthy, Luke Doty is your starting quarterback game one. Uh, but he did he, – he gave some praise to the other guys, Jason Brown, Colton Gauthier, for their work this summer um, as far as putting that in. It seems like it's a good quarterback room as far as the effort goes. So no surprises there. But any time there's a quarterback update, it is newsworthy, even if the coach is just repeating what he said prior. Um but other than that, even team wise, even in the local media stuff, just not, not, not a ton that you can take away from it. But that, that, as I said, man, I, I think counting on uh, Bam, counting on Isaiah Norris to play a bunch right away, experience has taught us that usually does not happen when guys come from JUCO and have to wait until the start of camp. That's exactly right. I mean. Um, both of those guys actually with a lot of ability, you know, Bam's got very interesting prospect. Isaiah Norris was a guy that, I mean, I don't even know. He's almost completely flown under the radar because he's a Juco guy. He's not on campus yet. He didn't go through spring, just hasn't been a lot of discussion about him. Um, But a lot of people around that Georgia military program talk very highly of him. He's a former TL Hanna guy in the upstate and Anderson, my alma mater. A lot of people up there out of high school talk very highly about him. So, the ability's there, but again, your learning curve um, is just going to be a lot higher. So we'll see what happens, but but two more additions there. And, I mean, just just saying that about Norris West just made me think, I mean, the number of DBs that are new faces that South Carolina is going to have added to this program after all the guys from the 22 class enrolls, big number. Lots, lots of kind of turnover in that secondary and a lot of faces added. Yeah, I mean – to, and, and Beamer, you know what? There was a there was a little tidbit that I thought was interesting from Beamer when they were talking about Prunty, and he said he said, "Look, this is a guy where 
we we were we were happy with where we were. Finally, I would he didn't say finally, but I would say finally because they had to add so many DBs. Right? He said they were pretty happy with where they were numbers wise at DB, but when they saw the opportunity to go get Prunty, he was too good not to to take advantage of that opportunity. So that sort of matches. I think we all we've talked up Prunty. I, I mean, the kid. It I believe pretty safe bet that he's going to be a starting cornerback. You never like to just say you're going to give a guy a spot, but if you're projecting this thing out, come on, Prunty's going to be a starter more than likely. So, but to me, that sort of backed that up. If they were like, all right, we've gotten our numbers to at least where they need to be, but this kid is too good to pass up. That that probably bodes well. And the fact, again, he he's not been on campus all spring or anything, or even all summer. But even I firmly believe, even a few extra weeks when you're talking about getting dude for a kid like that just getting used to the columbia humidity and starting to get back into shape leading you know leading into camp as opposed to sucking air the first two weeks of camp trying trying to get into like practice shape i don't i don't think you can i don't think that i'm overstating it to say that's a big deal just just those few extra weeks it is you you can't you know, you don't want to be behind from a conditioning standpoint when you come in because then it's more about getting yourself back into shape other than being in a good in good shape. You know, maybe not completely optimal, but good enough shape to where you can really hone in mentally, you know, on what you need to do. Because, you know, look, I mean, playing corner and playing in this scheme, you know, that's not to say it's not challenging. Playing corner is very challenging. But it is a spot where a guy like Prunty, especially someone who already has college experience, a full year of it, where he yeah, played well. Year. <laughs> I mean, he can he can come in and, and be able to make an impact more quickly than say a guy who enrolls in August and has no college experience. A uh, good point here by Nathan uh, on YouTube saying that uh, Shane probably wanted to highlight the conditioning progress Jason Brown has made, um, mentioning that you know he'd been trying to. I, I don't know if he said it exactly that way, but trying to lose some weight. Uh, yeah, so anytime your guys are are putting in the extra work, um, that, that's a good sign, and I, I know I'm sure Shane Beamer wanted to highlight that. We've got an interesting question here, Chris. Let's hit on this before we close it out from our, our boy Travis because I, I think we may have we may have some unique insight on this because I, I think it's been very split in what I've seen. Imagine that, it's split on social media. Who would have ever thought that? <laughs> The Deion Sanders situation. So, it, it it's my understanding. And then the, the weird thing is, Deion came back and played a video of a clip of the Zoom, and it was it actually sounded very playful between the reporter and Deion. Um, but but Deion did get up in the mm-hmm. video. And on the, in the tweet, he said he didn't get up and leave. So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I was not there. I'm just gonna let's talk about coach versus D, like Dion as far as what you call somebody. Um, it, it is a thing in journalism, especially with like big old school journalism, where. Some some people think you're being a homer if you are if you call a guy by coach if you are a reporter. Um, 
I don't really consider myself like a traditional reporter because we cover recruiting. We cover it a little bit differently than like a beat writer would, for example. The other side of that is you will notice if you are around a lot of coaches, Chris, coaches speak to other coaches by saying, by calling them coach. Um, now, so th- the reporter side of it is, hey, that that guy is a coach, but he's not my coach, so why should I call him coach? Well, to me, the other side of it is that if you're around other coaches, like if, if Shane Beamer was meeting Mike Leach for the first time, um, and they like weren't friends before, like they don't have some long-standing relationship. They probably call each other coach. Like coaches call each other coach. It is sort of a, a respect thing. So I don't know, man. I'm I I don't think you're some homer. Like when we, when we had when we had Beamer on the uh, on the show, and I if I if I'm talking about Beamer right now, I call him by his last name. I call him Beamer. When we had him on the show. Pretty sure I called him coach. I was, you know, I wasn't like coach Shane Beamer. We are not worthy, but but I was <laughs> I called him coach. Right. He's a coach. Um, right. I I don't think that he's. I don't think he himself believes he's above being called Shane. That's his name. Like I, yeah. I think there is a middle ground here. Like Dion, De- if if Dion did straight up walk out because he got called by his his. God given, like, or his family given name, like that's your name, dude. Like, you are you are a coach. We don't have to worship the ground you walk on. But I also don't think it's bad to refer to a coach as coach. I do, and you know, if we had Colin in here right now, Colin, who went to you know, he went to journalism school. I did not. We kind of fall on all these different ends, Wes. You went to broadcast journalism school. So you know what you're doing more than I do. Um, I was a poli sci major. Would I have a different perspective? Possibly. Colin would be more in the camp of. He was print journalism. Yeah. You call coach Beamer Shane and nothing wrong with that. Um, I did see the exchange you were talking about. It was kind of, both guys were kind of laughing reporter and Dion, but Dion did get up. And I think the, the issue there was Dion said you wouldn't, well, I called him Dion, but I mean, I, I mean, he's Dion, man. He's, he's always been Dion. The the reporter called him Dion, right? Which happens at every press conference. And he said that to the reporter, "You wouldn't call Nick Saban Nick." And the reporter was like, "Yes, I would, and I do." And there have been all these compilation videos of reporters calling Nick Saban Nick. I've seen a lot of Saban press conferences because a lot of them are hilarious when he roasts people. Mostly, from my recollection, people are normally calling him Nick. But if they call him coach, I don't care. Like, Wes, when we're on the field at, like, high schools or whatever or, like, Carolina's camp and you run into people, sometimes people call us coach. We're yeah, not they do it all the time. Actually. All the time. And so oh, – Coach, ah, uh, coach. I mean – It's like, ah, uh, coach. You just kind of say it. It just comes out. In, it's part of the vernacular in that world. And so, to me, like, I normally, when I'm addressing somebody – in a conversation or on this show, if we have a coach on, normally I'm saying coach, that doesn't mean I'm beholden to them or that I'm a homer. That's my opinion. Um, my wife's former high school basketball coach. We've hung out with her some. I call her coach. Yeah. It was not my coach. I just call her coach. Now you may say, well, that's a sign of respect. 
I mean, kind of, but it's okay to give respect to somebody you're talking to, in my opinion. My neighbor is the greatest soccer coach in the history of uh, South Carolina High School League. I call him coach. I know him. I could call him either. He doesn't care. I normally find myself calling him coach just because that's that's what I do. So um, I think it's much ado about nothing. Uh, the, the part I took issue – there are two parts that I kind of took issue with. You know, if a coach says call me coach, I would do it. I wouldn't make this big stink about it. No, I'm going to call you your first name. Dion saying you wouldn't call Nick Saban Nick was inaccurate, right? Uh, that said, if he wants to be called coach, I would have done it. The reporter kind of doubled down and was like, okay, Dion, you know, like he said that at the end. So there were some things there where both sides maybe could have handled it a little different. I just thought that this whole debate, we need to we need to kick the ball off or something. Like if this is going to be, yeah, we're we're already at this on, point. On we're July searching 21st. for stuff. Yeah, July twentieth, I guess yesterday was. Um, yeah, dude. I, I mean, if I if I walk up to a coach in a casual setting, I say, "What's up, coach? How's it going, coach?" It's not. Not, really not a big deal. Um, the whole the whole thing, I mean, and it, but here's the other thing for me, dude. Dion, for his entire professional career, has been Dion. Like, if you – he's one of the people that – it's like, okay, LeBron. Nobody says – I don't feel like you don't even say LeBron James. If you say LeBron, everybody knows who you're talking about. If you say Kobe – like if if you are if you go by your first name and everybody knows who you are, you have arrived. That means you are on a level yeah. as far as notoriety that is greater than than anybody else that has the same name as you. <laughs> so you are the most famous Dion on the planet Earth. If people, I mean, I remember twenty years ago, Dion. More than that, 30 years ago when I was a kid, Dion is Dion Sanders. So I, I think there's an even, an even greater element here of like him calling you by the word Dion, by the name Dion. It's because you've always been Dion. You don't have to say Sanders. Everybody already knows who you're talking about. There's a lot of Sanders out there, but there's only one Dion. That's so right. that's, I don't know. That's my, that's my final take on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, uh, you know, a lot of discussion about it and a lot of people, like you said, there's this big split. I am not a subscriber to the theory that if you're a journalist or a reporter or whatever you want to call a media member, that you have to call a coach by a certain name in order to remain impartial. I don't believe that um, because in my own experience, I've never thought, man, I would have. I would have had better analysis and done a better job if I would have just called that guy this name. That to me just doesn't, you know, it it, it has no bearing to me. Now other people have a different opinion and that's totally fine. I think what, I think what tipped the thing is Dion's reaction initially was, was not accurate. Okay. And then the reporter, even if it wasn't accurate, couldn't, he could have not doubled down and said, okay, Dion at the end, which is what one of our, uh, one of our folks are pointing out there in the uh, in the chat. So, yeah, and and we are um, we are also Chris. When we rewatch that, it's like when you have instant replay in a game. We have 
the advantage of being able to think about what's being said. There may the reporter may have said like he may have thought Dion was just messing with him. That's so right. So he doubled down. I if you know I can see if a, if a coach was sort of busting you know you busting my you know what I like it's it's common if a coach generally that's a that's actually a sign of respect like I feel like if a coach is giving you you know grief about something like that that's the same way he treats the guys in the locker room generally a coach giving you hell is like a a, a good thing so. I think may you know maybe he was like, well, I'm not going to back down. I'm going to give it right back to him. Now, in hindsight, maybe he says, maybe I should have just listened. I, you know, I don't know, but it's kind of one of those things where you're in the moment, you're on the Zoom, you're probably take, you're probably taken a little bit by surprise. Oh, here's Deion Sanders messing with me. Um, do I mess with him back? Do I back down? Like what? What do I do? So it's easy to sit here and be like he should have done this with hindsight being on our side, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it's hard to tell without being in that SC scout guy said next time he should call him prime. That's the thing he did after he got that job, he would always say coach prime. So I want, I, and you know, to maybe he wants coach prime. Does he want coach Sanders? Does he want just coach? Does he want Dion? No tell, but I'm with you, Nathan. I don't think it's a huge deal either way. It's a big deal to some people. I don't think it's going to break journalism to call people coach because it's been done for years. I don't think it's going to make journalism to call people by their first proper name either. That's just that's my take. Yeah, as you said, man. If we got uh, if we got another month and a half of this, you know what? Then uh, it's going to be a long month and a half. But luckily, I think there'll be plenty to talk about, and certainly here at South Carolina, there will be plenty to talk about. So. My, my connection is going out again, so I think we're going to get out of here. Chris, I'm Wes. This is GC Live. We'll see you Friday. Y'all have a good one.